Guys, welcome to another episode of Metal Mastermind. Your co-host and co-founder, Jason Stallworth, and also co-host, co-founder, the great Ken Candelis. How are and you? We, I'm good, dude. I'm good. We have a special guest today, too. Uh, Ken, introduce our guest, dude, because you guys have been working together for a long time. Absolutely. Uh, esteemed colleague and friend, uh, Kia Eschke, uh, who has been just a tremendous influence in my life. Uh, welcome, Kia. Uh, great to have you here today. Hey, guys. Um, it's an honor to be here. I'm glad that I got asked to come on. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Uh, you know, let's start off with uh, Kia. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, what you are, where you come from and what's your kind of history when it comes to metal? Um, start yeah, off with that. So um, now I am, um, I'm largely an educator, which I'm very, very proud of. Um, music and metal and music in general have sort of led me to being able to share my experiences with the next generation of music lovers and more specifically audio engineers, music producers, uh, music makers of, uh, you know, the next generation. So super proud of that. Um, you know, working for the city of New York, uh, being an educator and, uh, where I came from was kind of a DIY space in the sort of hardcore metal core subcultures of metal. Uh, when I was a, a young, young boy, even uh, 14, 15 years old, I, I started kind of riffing on a guitar, you know, a Squire and then an Ibanez. And then eventually I graduated to a Gibson SG, um, you know, had some cool sort of, uh, you know, first distortion pedal experiences. Um, I think my first guitar was actually like a classical guitar, you know, and, and I was kind of like, this is cool, but like, dad, can I get a distortion pedal? And he was like, that doesn't sound good. You know, <laughs> I was like playing him like Black Sabbath and he was like, why do you want to do that? And the I was devil like, music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I just remember like listening to uh, WSOU Seton Hall when I was young, it was a New Jersey radio Jersey, station. Yeah. And I remember hearing like, uh, you know, Slaughter the Soul by At The Gates, which funny enough influenced me so much that it became my uh berkeley um uh, audition song wow. and i I went, awesome. up to, I went up to these couple of jazz cats and like you know plugged in my sg and you know down tuned to like c and played uh slaughter of the soul and uh they asked me what are you going to play and, and i said slaughter of the soul by at the gates and they said oh a love song because you know just <laughs> funny jazz guy humor you know um <laughs> And then, you know, I got rated really poorly because they were like, he can't improvise at all. <laughs> um, but that's fine. It was part of like my experience. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I was playing in bands um, when I was 15. I, I started off in cover bands and sort of battle of the band type situations like, you know, talent shows. And then I played in a band called Guilt in Action um, in Western Massachusetts. So the Western Massachusetts scene was a really, really big influence for me. So all those bands that you hear about, like Shadows Fall, um, Aftershock, which is now, you know, Kill Switch Engage, um, uh, Converge, Cave In, like all these sort of metalcore bands that were crossing over hardcore uh, and metal, like, you know, even Earth Crisis back in the day and All Out War and all these bands. Um, those are the bands that influenced me, but there was also sort of a, uh, there was the, the, the emo screamo thing going on. Ska was going on. There was a lot of stuff happening in that scene. It wasn't just about, uh, metal, but I was really into like the heavy side of the, the equation. Yeah. But I also liked the DIY aspect of the punk rock that, that they brought into the metal world. And I liked the crossover that happened because you saw like the long hair metal people. And then you saw like the shaved head, Jinko, puka bead people kind of getting along, which is nice, you know, um, because I appreciate sort of at the gates and in flames. And I also appreciate. Yes. I, I know rock. you're a big, big fan of in flames. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Punk rock, you know, hardcore gorilla biscuits, all that. Stuff. Like I, there's a lot of different stuff that is rolled up into uh, what, I believe is a much broader sort of DIY local music world and metal and punk and all this stuff rolls up into the type of music that's really supported by local, by local crowds, you know, and that's really important. So I know this is like me just kind of like, uh, going on and on, but oh, we love uh, it, dude. This is great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I was 15, 16. I was playing in a band called guilt in action and I booked my first show 
by literally, I went to this place called the Flywheel in East Hampton. And uh, it's this tiny little like DIY space. We all, we all have had that one really special venue that like, you know, no one even knows about, you know, unless you're local from there. And there was a band called Esperance playing. And I actually handed my demo tape of Guilt in Action, which was my band at the time. We recorded this demo tape in a boom box in our school practice room. And it was a cassette. I handed it to the guy, the singer from Esperance and boom, got my first show. And it was like a huge deal because everyone from my school came over and they were moshing. And, you know, I remember being done with that show and there was probably like 50 or 60 people there. And it was amazing. It was like such a great first show. Um, I just remember being like being overcome with this feeling of like, it's over. Like, you know, we did the performance, like we practiced for months and months and months and, <laughs> that feeling will never, for, like, will never leave me because I still feel the same in a way after every performance because there's this emotional thing about how we pu- we pour so much into this. We pour so yeah. much into the practice. We pour so much into the arranging people's schedules, getting together and, you know, even maybe working out something with a bar or a venue, you know, and it's a lot of work and we haul all our equipment, uh, you know, to the venue and back. So those days really influenced me a lot. Um, eventually, I ended up playing a, a, a few other local bands in New York, in Massachusetts. And um, this band, Unearth, I, I had the opportunity to open for them once on a tour. They were on tour with a band called Red Roses for, Red Roses for a Blue Lady. I had a local show booked at a place called Ground Zero in Belmore, which is on Long Island. And what ended up happening was Unearth's show in the same area on the same day fell through. So the promoter contacted me and I actually made some enemies because I had to like convince some other bands like this band four in the chamber, which I, I, Hey, no, no disrespect to any of you guys, but they got real, they got so mad at me for like saying, Hey, I need to bring some bands from Florida and other places onto the show. And unfortunately, you know, y'all, y'all are from Queens. Like I'll get you back next time, but I'm going to have to replace you on the show. They got really mad at me. They put me on their shit list on their website and like, you know, like, acted like oh, tough guys when they saw me at, at shows and stuff, you know, again, like we made up and, and, and all that. So it's all good, but it was like crazy that there was this sort of time where I had to kind of help out a band that was coming through. And, you know, there's always consequences when you're trying to help people too. So yeah, this, that, that caused a lot of drama in the scene. But anyways, I, I opened for Unearth with my band at the time. We were called Scary German Guy. I know, a really weird name, but we were like an industrial, <laughs> industrial metal band. Industrial metal band, very, very like KMFDM meets sort of at the gates type oh, that's of thing. Cool. And um, we, ended up, uh, we ended up playing. They liked me and they asked me to play some shows with them. So I ended up playing Warp Tour with Unearth. I ended up um, like on like one rehearsal, which was crazy because I had to like learn the whole album just like from the CD and play one rehearsal. I, I, I played Warp Tour with them. I ended up doing like, you know, a lot of stuff. Uh, Furnace Fest, playing with Andrew WK, In Flames, Soilwork, Lamb of oh. God. Um, a lot of awesome bands that I admired a lot. Going on tour with Shadows Fall, going on tour with uh, Shia Lude. Getting offers from other bands like uh, Bury Your Dead and Shia Lude to join the band. And uh, a lot was happening for me then. Um, playing like 250 shows a year. And you know what's crazy? I love metal so much. I really do. But after playing it for 10 years straight and being like literally seeing five to six metal bands a night, every night, that is what actually not, it didn't cause a departure from metal for me, but more it caused me to like look outside to other genres. And that was really amazing too, because then I kind of got into like the singer songwriter thing, uh, you know, writing my own stuff, um, not just being like a, like a riff maestro, but being like a composer, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, that's kind of my story. I went to, I went to some school in there. I went to Berkeley in conservatory recording arts. I, um, worked with some great producers, um, like Henry Hirsch and Andrew Schneider. He's a great Andrew Schneider worked with like Unsane, Caven, like all these. Yeah, that, that's a really uh, inspiring story. Uh, and, you know, you've got a lot of juicy details in that. And actually, um, by the time this podcast is released, uh, if not sooner or just a little bit afterwards, we're going to have actually a full on interview video of Kia Eschke that you can watch uh, on YouTube. So uh, this is uh, something I'm really looking forward to. It's been in the works for a little while. And, you know, Kia, you're a great friend. And I really appreciate that time that you spent, uh, especially also recording You Are Your Master, our metal oh, mastermind yeah. song uh, that we have for Metal Songwriters Forge, which we've 
uh, broken down into so many different pieces uh, in order to learn how to write uh, songs for metal. And, uh, you know, so Kia, your uh, experience, it's, it's clearer that, you know, you've had quite a bit of uh, experience going around the world as a touring act, but also uh, along the road, you, you've developed quite a bit of uh, skill set in, in music production yourself. So uh, I know nowadays you're still doing uh, and you're working even with metal acts. Uh, for example, Hero in the Horror is your is your kind of your latest thing that you've you've done. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about how your uh, experience as a metal producer uh, has really helped out an act, something like Hero in the Horror? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a really special record for me because that's kind of a full circle type of record because I... Um, I actually did play, you know, metal and like a lot of Swedish sort of influenced hardcore metal for many, many years. But once I got into production, it's because I had gotten tendonitis in my arms so badly that I actually had to drop out of Berkeley College of Music and I had to stop playing with Unearth. And I also had to stop playing with another band called Demira that was on Equal Vision Records because these were very, very, very technically involved guitar parts that were exacerbating my condition. And I had to come to an, uh, a, a very sad conclusion that I needed to take a little time off from being a primary lead guitarist in a serious touring band and also interrupt my, um, interrupt my, my, my education. So that was really devastating for me. But what it led me to was to seek out uh, a trade school, the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences in Arizona. So I, I went out to Arizona, got a change of scenery. The heat actually helped my condition, funny enough, because it, it really mm -hmm. helps with the tendonitis out there with the dry heat. It's like they have like, they'll have like 40 days straight of over 100 degrees in the summer. It's crazy. Um, but while I was over there, I learned a lot about, you know, uh, about producing and stuff like that. And I finally got to circle back to producing the type of music that got me started because I had been doing a lot of like indie pop, pop, rock, rap, stuff like that um, in the production world, in, the, in that circle. So it was really, really, really interesting to me that when my friend, um, my friend Slow from Unearth Days started a, a new band, I heard their, their release, their first release. Uh, it was a note to self. It was a great song um, recorded by uh, by Nick Z actually, and when I heard that, I was like, "This is this is really cool. This kind of like it's kind of like a poppy kind of Tool esque sort of uh, metal, but also with that Western mass hardcore influence that I that I grew up on, you know." Mm -hmm. So it was really special to work with uh, Slow again because he's the type of guy that you know if the van needed an oil change. He would do it on the side of the road. And like, you know, he was always driving overnight. Um, he was that rock in the band. He was really steady. Like he wasn't, um, he wasn't phased by, uh, people who were partying and try to chase girls or whatever people, like he was very focused on the road and a good friend and a loyal friend. And, uh, he just is not somebody who messes around and he's just a good person to have on your team. And, uh, I was all about like, you know, working with him. And he reached out to me when I started a little record label called Hanging Moon Records. Um, he was like, Hey, maybe we should do something together, you know? So I said, all right, let's, let's, you know, let's make a single. And that single turned into an EP that we released. Um, I got to, I got to work on that. I got to, first thing I did for them was like, I mixed and mastered a song and then we produced an EP. And then eventually we produced a, an LP, like a, like a 10 song album. And uh, Ken, you were involved with, with that with a lot of drum tacking and assistant engineering, which was great. Um, so yeah, it, it's been, it's been great. Uh, some of the great things about that album is I got to work with uh, Joel Stretzel of Killswitch Engage as a co-producer on the record. We actually co-produced remotely. Like he recorded all the guitars in his setup at his, at his home studio. And I cut the drums and the vocals at uh, different studios, uh, North Fire Recording and Mainline Studios, both in Western Massachusetts, uh, both, uh, both studios with a lot of history, especially Mainline, Amazing. known for doing the first Killswitch Engage record and, and many other records. They're actually, Killswitch is, I think, back in there now. Um, so yeah, it's a, it was an honor. It was an absolute that's, honor to work on. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I love the guys from here in the heart. They're, they're, they're really good dudes and uh, they got solid, 
foundation to them. Uh, you can tell they've been doing this for a while and now they're not, they're not playing around. So, uh, and if, if, uh, nobody has heard of hero in the horror, uh, from metal mastermind, you should go check them out. Uh, their new record old ghosts will be coming out soon. Uh, I think their single on fire is released. They just released a music video. Yeah. Uh, yeah they just that. got a music video. They've yeah. got a single. Yep. It is killer, man. Uh, their music is, is dope. Uh, I'm really liking what they what they're doing. It's like new grunge metalcore. I think it's sure, sure. Yeah, there's a big '90s kind of you know grunge influence and alternative influence, but you know they come from that same sort of uh, you know groundwork that I was talking about. That Western Massachusetts DIY right. ethics. You know, love it, love it, love it. So now, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, how then? Um, music in metal production has changed uh, over the course of time because you're just mentioning this now uh, how you know people are collaborating online you know ever since the pandemic obviously this has been a big sort of uh change in the industry but how are now uh people collaborating online and do you think it's 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 a viable solution for many people to do that with uh, overseas, you know, hiring out. I know a lot of people do a lot of projects, you know, <laughs> myself included, obviously, and so does Jason. We have our own projects and uh, outsourcing, uh, you know, people for different talents. Uh, what are what are you, what are your opinions about that, and how have you worked with that uh, in order to create a quality record? I mean, there's never been a better time to collaborate with everyone all over the world. I truly believe that we should use every resource that we have at our disposal. And that includes pretty much everyone, you know, that has these skills at this point, because everyone's learning these skills. Um, there are some like, you know, potential pitfalls, like, you know, um, me and Joel working on this record separately, for example, there were a lot of great things. Like I would just get amazing sounding guitars that I just put in my session and I was like, Hey, this is great. I didn't have to work that hard on these and they're just really great sounding, but you know, so, sometimes communication would be staggered and sometimes, uh, things would come up that would, you know, need, uh, you know, to be addressed like later, later on down the line. But I, I think all in all, I mean, when you compare it to like my experience of, you know, handing a cassette tape of my demo, you know, we have a lot more potential now to make amazing recordings. We have, uh, you know, we have so many different people we can collaborate with. I, I personally think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I think it also requires trust in the people you work with, which it, you have to build. And it also takes a little bit of risk at times because you have to kind of put yourself out there and trust someone at some point so that maybe you can uh, decide that that workflow is going to be able to work and move forward. And there's a lot of, um, situations that come up that might be like, that might make you regretful that you trusted someone with your music, you know, at some point. So, um, it's never a completely smooth sailing type thing when you're collaborating on, uh, creativity together. But, um, but I'm very, very, uh, optimistic and hopeful about the future and what I'm seeing, um, you know, with, with me and all my friends, I'll give you an example. Like I have a good friend that, you know, as well, can, uh, you know, Ed Marks, um, AKA ginger squirrel, he's a producer. Right. And we went out to Indiana to record some of my, uh, my music because he's, uh, he, he's a, he's a keyboard player in my band, but we went out there. He met the drummer that owns, uh, my drummer that owns a studio out in Indiana. And he loved the drum sounds. We got so much with him playing and him, uh, and, and me and him engineering that, he decided to outsource the drum recording for a production he's currently working on with a, a with an artist named Apollo Flowerchild, and got all the drums just you know recorded in Indiana and sent back to him, and he's super happy with them. That's a record that I'll be mastering down the line. So it's like these types of collaborations being possible, like the online back and forth. It's it's amazing. I mean, it's kind of like what we all dreamed we could have done when we were young, but we had to just get whoever we could into a room in a basement, you know? <laughs> Dude, I, I want to go back to something key. You said something that kind of really stuck out. A lot of things that stuck out, uh, by the way, you mentioned all out war. I, I know Brad Mater. He's, he's, awesome. uh, he formed must not kill. He was on my channel um, a couple of months ago and their drummers coming on soon. But, uh, you mentioned something about when you, you kind of, I don't want to say got tired of metal, but it's like you, you kind of opened up to some more genres and you mentioned singer songwriter. And this is what stuck out. You, you said something to the effect of it became more about just a cool riff and more about the composition. 
Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Because I, I think that's important to a lot of our guitar players and really any instrument you play. Sometimes we focus on, I got to get that shred pattern just right or the sure. shred just right. But you've got yeah. this whole other spectrum to the song. 100%. So, you know, when I first started playing guitar, um, I was attracted to uh, riff-oriented music. That's what got me into guitar. And I learned uh, best, personally, um, not necessarily by directly learning music theory or by directly, um, you know, practicing scales. At first, I, I did move on to practicing scales quite extensively. But in the beginning, what helped me was identifiable riffs that I really loved and then learning them. And so that got me into a style of music mixed with what was kind of big in my local scene, which happened to be metalcore and screamo, emo, metal, you know, hardcore, punk, that stuff that it's very linear in its uh, form. It'll be like, here's a riff, here's a riff. Okay, we're going to hold out E, you know, hit the crash, and then we're going to go into something fast. And, 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 you know what I mean? And it would be very linear. It would have all of these different sections, but there wasn't necessarily always a compositional thread that ran through the entire song, more of a style or an aesthetic that held the, the, the piece of music together, which is cool. Totally cool. But it's wait, a wait, different wait. thing. It's a different thing than, um, for example, something that moves you with, uh, its nuance in melody and harmony and, while some heavy music certainly does have that, um, sometimes it's not as much the focus because there might be some really interesting rhythmic things happening, maybe some polyrhythms going on, maybe, um, you know, it maybe just the physicality of the heaviness of it is very moving. Um, and I tended to always sort of gravitate towards stuff that, um, it was either very quirky, like Dillinger Escape Plan or Coalesce, which was like mathy and Ooh. brutal, or something that was much more like melodic, like in flames, you know, soil work. And that's why I love being in Unearth is that we were very heavy, but we also had a lot of melodies in the guitar parts. So, you know, uh, there's a lot I can go on about that because, you know, there's something about when I think about like how Paul McCartney sometimes writes a song, he just holds a chord out, writes a melody over the chord, and then he starts harmonizing the melody, you know, with different changes and, uh, you know, brilliant, brilliant songs can come about that way. Um, and I find that a lot of times the metal that I loved had a little bit of that in there. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm with you, man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, when you have, uh, like an element of, of like a really good melody, it, it, it's, it's something I feel that's a very special thing. Uh, I also am a big fan of like arranging <laughs> uh -huh. and the layers of arranging. I mean, my, my music is kind of really dense when it comes to arranging, but yeah, yeah. Lots the, of uh, the, 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 I, I hear what you're saying too, because like in some ways, um, I find that, you know, it, it, like metal can be very simple. Uh, and that's a, and that can be a very good thing when Absolutely. it comes to certain experiences of what are you asking for when you want to listen to this piece, right? I might choose, uh, you know, something that is a, a little bit more riff based if I want to just kind of get going on like some activity or feel that energy and kind of ride forward. But then, there's also the other side to metal, I feel, which is very kind of unique, which is it's almost like a laid back kind of like you can sit down and just kind of chill and listen to metal uh, mm -hmm. type of, of vibe as well, which, uh, you know, anytime like uh, I, I always love referencing Winter Sun when it comes to something like this, because whenever I go to like a Winter Sun show, um, <laughs> me and my buddies would always uh, comment on, hey, nobody's like moshing here. They're just all kind of like singing the song and just looking and staring at the stage. Um, and it's like, well, you know what? That's, that's a very unique kind of experience in, in this kind of genre. So that I love how versatile uh, metal can be for that. And <laughs> I'm glad you said what you said. Um, and when we're talking about like songwriting, um, you know, can you elaborate also a little bit more on maybe what you're seeing uh, in the industry? Uh, are you, uh, are you happy where the industry is going? Uh, or what are the challenges that you're seeing from metal songwriters or maybe, I don't know if you want to call them mistakes or pitfalls, but also what are some of the things that you like that are happening in the industry, uh, and, and what, what's bringing it together? Well, I really just like how now, unlike when I was coming up in the metal scene, there seems to be 
um, more room for success for niche artists. I think that's really important. Um, the It's not that they um, didn't matter before. It's just it's easier for them to find their audiences now. And uh, the metal scene and the hardcore scene and all of these sort of scenes that uh, tend to be sort of more subversive types of music, right? Like this sort of rebellious type of, of heavy music. It always has had a really good support scene on a local level, as opposed to pop music and indie rock and, and you know, uh, hip hop in a lot of areas too. Like just in general, I feel like metal and punk and ska, these sort of weird outcast genres have been really good at just having support locally. And now I think we can even though the, the the local music scene is sort of suffering compared to what it was when I was young in a way, just because it's, I, I feel that people, it's hard for them to understand the importance of supporting their local music scene right now, because it is easy to just, Hey, I can go to Instagram and I can check out the music there. And it's not, it's not as like, someone's not as desperate to get to a local show these days. And I think that shows, you know, but on the flip side, you know, people can make great records from home, can distribute them, get them to their, uh, get them to their audiences. And, and that's really inspiring. You know, you see groups making it on YouTube, you see groups, uh, you know, uh, as a, you know, there is also the underlying sort of unfortunate uh, uh, money breakdown where all that this money is going to like, you know, YouTube or Amazon or whatever, because these huge corporations own these platforms. And, and that's unfortunate, especially when you see like Spotify wanting to demonetize smaller artists that all that stuff is really depressing, but um, I will, and, and, and that's like a whole other discussion that I'm totally willing to have. But I think the things that I'm happy about are that, um, people are seeing more larger amounts of people are seeing the value in this type of homegrown music, you know? Right. And I think that's, that's really, really important. That's really great. Um, so, so there's not really ask- a lot. Yeah, I, I just want to top it off with that. There's not really a lot that I'm seeing that I don't like, except that maybe people aren't aware that the current music model isn't working like financially. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing that's, that, that bugs me is that most people, I think, especially the generation that was, that was born into Spotify and what's going on. It, I think it's hard for them to understand how harmful the current music economy is to local musicians and how important local musicians are to the big picture in general. You know, I want, I want to touch a little bit about that because now uh, we've, we've gotten uh, new news from, from platforms like Spotify that they're actually changing their, their royalty rates. And uh, they're, they're actually excluding a certain threshold of people Mm -hmm. and uh, who are not earning enough plays uh, from their music, which most yeah. of this is is independent musicians of course um so let's 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 talk about this for a second uh but not just on this but also what do you think is important for a modern independent musician or producer uh that they should be prioritizing uh in order to you know try to make something for themselves in the music industry I think it's, it's a lot of different things and it's, it's hard to know your priorities. I think this is, this is one of the things that's very difficult is it's confusing, right? To know what your priorities is in the current music sort of, you know, uh, just economic climate, let's call it. It's, there's not a lot of return, right? For, for streaming. And if, I think what most musicians are banking on is the hope, right? That, Hey, I'm going to break through and eventually make some money on my streaming. So what's happening right now is that the corporation is just cramming down on the people who are floating the platform based on their hope, you know, that they're going to eventually get there, you know, and, and, and you're just, you're just moving the target further away. And that's not, that's not good because these are the people who work really, I mean, you know, everyone spends a massive amount of time, money, effort on their music, right? Like for the most part, you know, there's some amount of effort that goes into producing it and putting it there. And it's almost understood that we're not going to make our money back, right? When we do our passion project. And that's a, that's, that's just a, a sad climate, unfortunately, like people like music and art should be valued higher. So my thing that we should do is we should do whatever we need to, to spread that awareness. So for, in my case, you know, I'm producing artists that are local to New York city that maybe couldn't afford my services without the, the sort of subsidy that my label provides. Right. And then also creating 
performances that are based around this idea of, hey, we're getting together to enjoy good music that we work together hard on, um, made some made some records and uh, and to try and to spread that awareness through those small events. Uh, because when people get together at events and enjoy music, um, they also it's, it provides an opportunity for that dialogue. It provides an opportunity for, hey, like we did this, we worked really hard on this together. It's so it, it's so great to see you all here, and um, it, it 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 makes it more real. This is one thing that I always sticks out to me. My first concert, I saw Aerosmith play live at some outdoor venue. It was like a camp trip. It was huge. Never once in my mind did I go, you know. I could do that. You know, it was this huge venue. It was like their Aerosmith has been famous for 20 something years already. You know what I mean? I went to a local show and saw Converge play with Shadows Fall and Cave In. There was a hundred people at Pearl Street. The place was, you know, brimming with electricity, with energy. And I was, I was looking at vinyls to buy without even having a vinyl player because I was so excited, you know? And I, I saw my friend who brought me to the show walk up to the singer of Caven and talk to him after his set. And she was like a 15-year-old girl, just like, you know, just a, a person, you know, just walking up to the lead singer of a, the headlining band, you know? And I was like, that's crazy. And that made me feel like I could do this. That's what, not not seeing some huge band in, in an arena, you know, even though that is inspiring to me, it's just, it's not the same thing. It's not as achievable. So people need, young people need to see that. And if you don't have local music, you don't have that, you know, you only have going to the stadium, going to Barclays Center and seeing Rihanna and being like, well, maybe one day, you know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's high hopes, you know? And, and I, I wish that for everybody, but we need to make, like something visible that's achievable and that people will strive towards. That's very that's another reason. And that's another reason why we, we also encourage people to branch out. Don't, don't expect to make an income or full-time income off just your music streaming, uh, but have physical products. I mean, people, uh-huh. I, I'm, I'm a nobody dude. And I have people buy CDs. Sometimes they pay more for the shipping in Germany than what my CD costs. Uh, they buy merch. Uh, I'm on YouTube. We encourage people to get out there so I think it I, in this day, no matter what you do, it's not just that thing. It's that you have to really be out there and, you know, create six, seven, eight streams of income related to that passion project so that you can make a living. I do this full time. I don't do anything else. I, I left my corporate job three over three years ago. Now, on, on that note, though, uh, Kia, is there a platform that we should be? favoring instead of Spotify, because you just you, you mentioned the power of the people. And yeah, we, we have the power to go shop here instead of there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, for <laughs> I know they just got bought, but uh, Bandcamp is the one that at least for now gives all the money that you spend to the artist. So, you know, it, it's not. But the thing is, people like the convenience of, of streaming and a library that sorts itself, that randomizes. So in that case, you know, Ken and I have really been pushing Cobas because it sounds a lot better than Spotify. It has high sample rates. It has high bit depth. You can listen to, you know, I, the same mixes that I've heard on vinyl. Uh, that really touch me. I'll hear them on, on, on Cobas with a high sample rate, you know, listening to my, my, my fancy headphones and I'll be like in tears, you know, cause it's so beautiful. Now the, the truth is they don't pay a, a lot better than most of the other streaming companies, but they do pay a little better than Spotify, which is nice. And they're not planning to demonetize smaller artists, but the, 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 un- unfortunately, Jason, this conversation, as you know, needs to happen like on a legislative level. So we actually need to, as musicians sort of um, maybe not, uh, maybe not like, uh, necessarily unionize, but we need to organize, you know what I mean? Like we That's need, because the way, the way that, um, look at the way that the, the AI thing was handled with film that required a prompt and organized response and they made headway. I don't unfortunately have a lot of en- enthusiasm or hope that us as musicians will have that same level of organization, but I think we have to start having those conversations with each other and, and seeing, you know, we have to galvanize ourselves as a musical community. You know, we have to, it's, it's, we're, we're being trounced all over just by not really standing up together, you know, especially because there's not even a statutory rate for something like streaming, you know, you have a statutory rates, 9.1 cents for every, mechanical sure. uh, like copy sold. Yeah. So that's, that's mandated by law, but you know, with streaming, which 
by the way, if you look at RIAA and their statistics, it's like 85% is like streaming. <laughs> so yeah. we're all trying to earn money from these platforms and we're getting paid fractions of a fraction <laughs> uh, from some of these places, Spotify included, of course. And that's going to, you know, that that each platform has a way of distributing their own, uh, you know, the royalties. They don't have to pay, you know, as much as they want with like a Cobas or, you know, or title that that pay more than Apple or, uh, you know, Spotify. These are all unregulated. So you're right. absolutely right. You know, we need uh, for sure. I'm a I'm a fan of that too. I think there's there's a, a big need for having to regulate this, and I'm hoping that this uh, new light of what Spotify is doing may may cause a bit of an uproar, uh, and maybe start putting things together because like that's very important. We're talking about the entire industry and how people are. You know, some people have been you know making a living and earning you know through something like Spotify. Oh, uh, that's, that's true. And then, you know, how, how is this going to affect their, their income? You know, yeah, if I, someone has multiple smaller projects that earn them, you know, small revenue streams that add up then they're going to just be kind of uh, out of luck. And that's yeah. not fair because those are the types of projects that have been sort of propping up Spotify as it built towards something like this, right? Like, so where they can really make money because they were not making money for a long time. But now when they've decided to, when they're in a position to make money, they're deciding to do so on the backs of the least fortunate workers in their sort of uh, ecosystem, right? Like they're just, it's not a good look for them, but unfortunately, I don't know that the awareness and the outrage will be there at the level that will really um, make waves, the waves necessary. It could though, you know, it, it, it's all, it's still very fresh. It's still very fresh and it's, it's a very messed up thing. So, you know, we'll see what, what ends up happening. Um, I find it really, really fascinating because it reminds me of, of another Napster in a way, you know, it's just, it's not the same thing, but it's like, it's that level of historical event. And um, unfortunately the music industry, as you know, it's there's a big sort of like work for free culture to get into the music industry like uh you know ken and i know as we've been interns in recording studios and stuff like that and uh the the energy of the young sort of crowd that's always coming into music it undermines the ability for people who are part of the industry to be able to get things really you know, to, to address these problems, because like, there's always going to be someone who's willing to work for free. And there's always going to be someone who's willing to feed the Spotify machine. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's a tough, and also just people trying to make a living. Like, how can you avoid Spotify? You know, it's, it's the platform, right? Like, you know, so it's a conundrum, I think. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. And we, we have uh, quite a bit of a pickle on our hands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, it's going to be something we're going to be discussing for a while. I think, you know, but, I, I don't have know, any answers. This is this is one of those things where, you know, which is why we 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 just talked about it before, which is, uh, you know, having a diversity in your income and also like, you know, what is your message, you know, and and where are you like you could have your music on Spotify, but is that where you're actually directing people to listen to your music? Very good point. So that that's something that independent artists do have control over. And I uh, constantly stress and, you know, Jason and I are believers in, you know, owning your own real estate, your own digital real estate. Yeah. So having your own website, having your own store, yeah. these are sort really of things important. that, um, you know, as we were sort of, you know, learning, and of course, Kia, you've, you've learned this stuff too. Uh, as you grow in this industry, you sort of, you know, you have an exposure to what are the, the inner workings, of course. And now you start to see, okay, where can I sort of mitigate certain variables where I don't have to necessarily depend on this platform or this platform, right? It's like having your own real estate is super important. And, you know, with something like Metal Mastermind, this is like a perfect example of creating a network uh, that is built for people that have uh, access to being able to, you know, support the independent artists or to be able to support the independent business that they, uh, they, that they're in line with. Um, and, you know, when it comes to Jason, you know, or myself or, you know, yourself, Kia, you know, when we have our own uh, websites that uh, represent our artistry and how we want people to experience music, 
I think that says a lot. It says a, it's a it's kind of like a big billboard sign in a way. Uh, what would have been if you were on the highway is to say, hey, you know, come to our brick and mortar store, or in this case, our online store, you know, and, and actually support the mom and pop, right? That's if you if you're a believer in that, then that's something that should be your priority. So in my in my personal life, I I try to uh, stick uh, stay away from buying too much on things like Amazon or something like that. I actually try very intently to go to the actual store from the company if I'm trying to buy something from them. Cause I know it's like, you know, I know they'll get just Absolutely. a little bit more uh, support from that rather than, you know, a big corporation like Amazon taking a cut of that. So uh, if, if, if people are able to do it, it takes, you know, like a small amount of effort to, to really make that happen. Uh, but if we're spreading that awareness and we're keeping in line, we don't have to necessarily say, you know, don't use Spotify. If you use Spotify, you use Spotify. That's your oh, choice. Yeah. The listener. We can't control that, right? But we can control uh, how people perceive uh, what we are trying to uh, create and where the best experience might come from. And I strongly encourage people to think about that. Absolutely. You, you build a hardcore following too. People will be influenced by you and, and they'll, they're more mm -hmm. apt to dig into your life. And then you can share without beating them over the head. Like, even stuff like my wife and I, we like 99% of the time we're eating out in a mom and pop place. We just mm -hmm. don't really do chains, you know, nothing against chains. But again, I'd rather support the mom and pop. I know my food's going to be better quality too, you know, yeah. especially with the Argentinian steak that Ken and I had. Oh, Puerto, yeah. Right. That was good yeah, stuff. Puerto. <laughs> Make Love me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so they, but people will become influenced and, and i think that uh you know if, if you're a, if you know, most people are listening right now are musicians you're in a band or you're a solo artist I, I think the days of just putting a song out there and hoping for the best i think that's done i call it the lead singer's disease you just show up and you sing and look pretty and that's all you have to do i think you do have to treat it like a business you know if you start a youtube channel uh, in that genre, you're a singer, maybe give some tips along with what you're doing, right? Uh, I'm a guitarist, you know, you guys know a ton of about music production. So if you have a YouTube channel, if you have a website with blog posts that's picking up SEO traffic, you can, you know, get ad revenue on those things. You can be an affiliate for Amazon, make money off Amazon. Uh, in my case, I'm a Sweetwater affiliate. So again, I could name off six, seven, eight streams of income that you could start like today. And it takes time to build that, of course, mm -hmm. but I think you just have to focus more on just your music. You have to focus on everything that's that you can surrounded by the music. I agree that um, doing the tips stuff really works because, you know, I we had to teach online for a little while and um, my channel as a teacher actually got kind of popular on Twitch. I amassed okay. like. 15,000 followers just from like teaching classes to my actual students, but people were just dropping into the lobby constantly to see what was going on. And then they started following me. I didn't actually, um, because I'm so busy with my new full-time teaching job, I didn't actually continue building that, but it definitely got to the point where it was like, man, I could take this pretty seriously. And it was really just from being online four days a week, you know, for a, few, for a couple of hours. And, uh, you know, I, I even got a check from, from Twitch, like, you know, just, just nice. incidentally, because <laughs> I ended up becoming an affiliate through that. And uh, it wasn't a lot, but I was like, oh, okay. You know, uh, it, you know, you build this up organically over time and it can be a legitimate income stream and it is really an enjoyable experience. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's possible. And uh, I think a lot like the whole DIY music scene, you got to kind of build it up, right? Like you play a show and maybe, you know, five people show up and play that same town again a year later. And, you know, they tell their friends and there's 15 people there. And it's, it's like, you know, it's the classic story of, of, of how it should be really building up your, your worth organically, right. you know? Yeah. And you know, now, now you're playing to the world stage on the internet. So it's a similar kind of concept of having the you know the local show right you know the first the first youtube or the first twitch stream that you do probably not a lot of people are going to be on it but you know consistency is key that's why touring acts uh, it's worked for them for a long time that's why you were on tour for 250 days out of the year you know because you're building that audience over time um so uh now actually this is interesting because uh, what do you think about, uh, you know, an independent artist and the viability of touring, you know, and, you know, I guess we'll 
start kind of wrapping it up on this note, but yeah, I want to, I want to see what your thoughts about that are Kia coming from playing in a band like Unearth, a, a big metal band that has seen the world and what are uh, the challenges, you know, you think that for an independent musician, do you think it's worth for them to to think about touring in the beginning? Or do you think it's something that comes later in their career? I truly believe that now more than ever is a time where you should build the workflow that you want to live. So it it depends because, you know, if you are making music at home and you're supporting that by working five days a week and you also have a family at home that would make it very difficult to tour. Like, you know, maybe you don't necessarily need to, but if touring is like a dream of yours and like being and playing a show every day in a different city is something you really want to do, you have to go for it because you only live life once and, you know, you can always get another job. You can always, you know, uh, uh, obviously it's not that simple. People have serious economic situations in their lives. And I, I, I want to address that, but like, you know, Touring is a beautiful thing because you wake up in the morning and you say to yourself, I'm going to play music today in front of people I haven't met before, right? And maybe some people I have met before every day and every day you're in a different city. And that's a very valuable experience as a musician and just a human being, because first of all, it breaks down a lot of the kind of BS political walls that are being put up via the media, like you meet people and you realize they're just fine people and they have opinions and it's not like, you know, that we need to be all at each other's throats all the time. Obviously there are important issues and stuff like that, but like, I find that those walls are broken down by actually going to the places that the news are talking about and playing a show and talking to people and and then they like you and you like them and it's like, everything's fine. So um, I think breaking down those barriers by traveling and also this country, if you happen to be, I know there's people from all the world, all over the world, but you have to, if you happen to be in the States, there's no better place to do a road trip, right? I mean, you know, you, you do a road trip in the States, you can go anywhere. You could, you could um, play different venues, you know, meet different people. Um, I'm sure, you know, there it's similar in, 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 uh, in Europe too. They can drive to all the different countries and, and, and play and, and it's, it's beautiful to see different places. So, um, I'm a huge fan of touring, but I also realize that now more than ever, you don't have to tour. You know what I mean? This is more of like a, what do you want your music life to be? You know, do you want it to be making records all the time and going on Twitch and YouTube and doing interactive stuff with your audience via online? You can do that now. Do you want to be like a, a band that plays house shows and, 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 uh, plays venues all over the country and like, you know, uh, uh, practices, uh, and you're, you're a rock band or something. You just want to like go out and, and play everywhere, you know, do it. Like it's, there, there's only now to be able to accomplish that stuff. And you're going to regret it if, if the time goes by and you don't do the thing that you dreamed of. So, you know, Mm -hmm. try it out and, and, you know, you don't have to go crazy. You could start with a weekend. You could start, you know, you can try to book a week when you have time off. Like I think that a lot of people want to do touring too, until they realize really how difficult it is. So that's another thing that's, you know, it is being away from your loved ones. It is being away from your bed. It is being away from a good meal every day. You might sleep on a floor and eat some Taco Bell, you know, and you know, you might be past that point in your life where you're able to like survive that way, you know, or you might be young and hungry and that sounds great to you. You know, uh, I think it really depends, you know, uh, touring is not a small commitment. So, uh, but at the same time, it's some of the best times of my life. So, you know, that's a very good uh, answer. And Thank you for sharing. Uh, Jason, do you have anything you want to contribute to uh, before we end our podcast today? No, it's just funny that you mentioned that. I, I've never toured. I mean, I played in local bands and, and stuff, and I, I play live acoustic solo gigs, cover songs. That's kind of my side gig, uh, you know, two, three times a week. Yeah, yeah. My wife's with me. Those are three and four hour shows, but you know, I'm I'm setting up my gear. I'm doing the show that I'm tearing down, going back home. And she's like, you know, I see why touring musicians probably do drugs now because this <laughs> can, can get a little rough, you know. But it's fun, though. Uh, I do want to tour before I die, and I'll, I will make that happen. But uh, oh, you no, totally yeah, will. Just want to say thank you so much, man. For, for oh, thanks for having me. It's an honor, and I really appreciate you, uh, you know, letting me talk it out, and and you know. Um, I always enjoy spending time with Ken and it's nice to finally have a a, a good conversation with you, Jason. I appreciate it. (laughs) 
you know, uh, I don't think I could have spent uh, a Halloween uh, better than today. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're recording right. this on Halloween. Actually, when we release this, I'll actually be in Thailand. So, I'll, I'll, oh wow, that's yeah, so. a great trip. Are you just going yeah. for pleasure? My wife is half Thai, so we we've been that's before, so and, and uh, but we're just we're going there just to scope out some other regions that we haven't been. We'll be in Bangkok. Uh, I think when we release this episode, I think we'll be in Bangkok, but we're spending some time in uh, Chumburi and in, in northern Thailand, close to Laos as well. Uh, in the Kompanom. So just kind of going all over the place and it's like a second home to us sort of. So is the food as good as I imagine? Oh, dude, I, mean, I need, yeah. I need to get there because that is like, I'm yeah. into spicy and sweet, oh, all the yeah. savory, all the stuff that they do. It's, oh man, they're, they're masters of that. I gotta, I gotta um, open a Thai cookbook. These guys, these people are, are dude, so I, good. They're great. I get it all the time. My wife cooks Thai. Of course, her mom, she's, she's Thai, so we get that. Uh, and we got some decent Thai. And I'm sure you guys have some some great Thai restaurants. Yeah, 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 totally, totally, totally. This is good stuff around. But it's nothing like visiting the place. Right, right. The reason. Yeah. You would, you would love it. I could go on about it, I'm but sure. you dude, you would absolutely love it. So I'm going yeah, to try to make it happen. I'm going to try. And you, yeah, that's awesome. That sounds great. Um, are you going soon? We're leaving next week. We'll be uh, yeah, have, we'll have a safe, week, awesome so. trip. I'm really Thank happy you. for it. That sounds Thank amazing. You. I said, by the time this this releases, I'll actually be there. And um, hey, we're going to do some longer stays, so we'll have room for you guys to come over. And oh my God, we'll, would, we'll have yeah. a full on <laughs> metal mastermind trip to Thailand. Yes, yes. As soon as my my eight month old is is big enough to go go on a plane to Thailand, let's get it. Let's get it. Let's make it happen. Let's do it. We'll do that. Man. <laughs> Kia, awesome. Once again, uh, thank you so much, man. We thank really you. appreciate thank you being you. on and sharing your sharing your history here with us and experience. I, I know it added a lot of value to our listeners. Uh, guys, thank you so much. Uh, Kia, is there any is there anything that we can shout out? Uh, you know, uh, yeah, you can. Again? You know, um, I have a, a independent record label called Hanging Moon Records. Um, if you all want to check it out, um, we here on the Horror has some releases on there. If you like the heavy stuff, of course, and then there's all sorts of uh, other genres as well. So yeah, check out the Bandcamp, uh, Hanging Moon Records, and uh, yeah, you can uh, listen to some good independent music. Awesome, Hanging Moon Records, guys. Do That's check right. that out. Look that up. And guys, thank you so much for listening and be a part of Metal Mastermind. We we do appreciate you. We appreciate the support. Until next time, as always, create your own sound.